Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Hart. Burning Eye Books is an independent publisher based in the Southwest, predominantly published spoken word artists, performance, stand up, and slam. Today's guest, we're going to be joined by the wonderful Maz Hedgehog. Their book has just come out this week, their first full collection, The Body and Its Seasons. Maddie has done everything right. Good job, a step up on the housing ladder, successful friends, but she's lost, miserable and deeply lonely. When she discovers the story of the body, a maybe mythical, definitely magical being who feeds on the hungry and soothes the hurt, Maddie blows her life up to find it. She quits her job to hunt through old zines, ignores her parents to pick through abandoned blogs, finding in each entry some truth about the body. The Body in Its Seasons is a journal of Maddie's obsession compiled in footnotes, conversations and diary entries. It sees black and queer possibilities through her eyes at something divine in its creativity and courage. Through each poem, myth and carefully recorded dream, Maddie is faced with the ever-renewing challenge of writing her own story, a narrative stitched together in in tangents and deviations. The Body in Its Seasons unpacks the fabric of poetry collection and reweaves them into a new tapestry of experimental and lyrical. Maz Hedgehog is a writer, performer and editor working in the spaces between real and unreal, poetry and theatre, self and other. Their debut chapbook, Vivette Regina, was published in 2019 and their first solo show, Let Me Count the Ways, was first performed at the Hope Mill Theatre in 2021. Outside the arts, Maz dabbles in knitting, baking and excessive swearing. Find them on Twitter and Instagram at Maz Hedgehog. As always, sit back with your favourite kind of drink and enjoy today's episode. Uh, So today I'm here with the fabulous Maz Hedgehog. Hello, Maz. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. Um, I had COVID the other week. But now I am fully recovered and like feel like a human being again. So yeah, it's all good. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah, COVID sucks. Yeah, I'm glad that you're feeling a lot better and uh, we're able to have a little chat today. Um, So I ask various random questions uh, just to start people off. Um, And what I'm doing this season of the podcast is I'm asking people what was the last really good thing that you ate that you were like "Mm, yes oh that is um hmm. Hmm. oh so um i think this would have been on wednesday yes on wednesday walked down the road from my office after work to go and grab myself like a late lunch and there is a um like Vietnamese street food shop on Oxford Road that does the most delightful barmies and they're satisfying and filling and you've got the like savory and tart for people's vegetables like fresh herbs fresh chilies it's just an excellent sandwich so mm. Mm. see I'm like mm, that does sound good yeah nice I had I made a lasagna yesterday 
And then, shamelessly, I ate half of it. <laughs> lasagna is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I go, I go, like, I go I I home down freshly lasagna is a thing of beauty. Right, yeah. But I mean, the Vietnamese food does sound amazing. And that's in Manchester. That's where you're based. Yes. Yes. So Manchester is uh, quite a massive city of culture, isn't it? There's a yeah, lot going I, on. It is. I could, it always feels like I'm missing out on stuff because there's always so much happening. But there are only so many hours in the day. And like, I also need downtime so it's like I could I could go to three things every single day and still miss most of the stuff that's happening um but no it means that kind of if ever I do want to just like go out and do something there will always be something going on yeah I suppose that's true actually yeah somewhere like Manchester is quite good London is also obviously the same as that uh and bristol to to a certain extent as well like good good nightlife i think um so yeah you're living and kind of working in manchester so mm -hmm. you're a poet you're a writer uh, an actor like uh you've just started a theater company i've just seen as well yep like all the things <laughs> yeah it's um what came first for you like what was your you know your foray into into the arts so i mean poetry was very much my first love um you know i grew up on poetry and on poets um like i'm pretty sure my dad handed me keats before he gave me Edith blighton like it's um kind of very a really big part of how I see the world, to be honest. Um, and so I've been writing poetry since I was a wee thing. Um, started performing it when I got to uni. You know, like, I think like a lot of writerly types, I discovered spoken word in like, my first year of uni and I was like, this is amazing. Um, and then I was just kind of focusing on poetry and spoken word up until like, a year and a half ago, um, when I did my solo show, Let Me Cut the Ways at the Hope Mill Theatre, I was like, okay, this 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 thing is actually pretty fun. Um, and but even then, it was like, oh, I'll just do like spoken word solo theatre. I'll just do that. Well, that's just my thing now. And then I got cast in the Midsummer Night's Dream, and I played Victoria, and it was the most fun thing. <laughs> in the world like it was a great production with a fantastic cast and we're all mates now like oh this acting thing is actually pretty cool and so i've been doing acting now for what seven eight months um and so i'm still super new to that and like the theater company is again also really new um you know the director for let me count the ways is one of my oldest friends faye draper um she is a actor and writer, director, theatre maker, person based in Liverpool. Um, and basically we just figured out that we want to keep making theatre together. And if it's a company, because I feel like the best vehicle for that. So we're actually taking a show to the Edinburgh Fringe. Amazing. Um, they wrote it, I'll be directing it. It's called Closure. It is 
you know, a rape revenge narrative, like promising young woman, but with more murder. Oh yes, that's what yeah. that film does need. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we are working with a writer called Mo, based in Liverpool. Um, he's working on his first um, bit of like solo theatre as well. Um, so we are going to be, you know, having a dramaturgy and directing and having him produce it and stuff. So that's going to be going to Newcastle in July. Amazing. But yeah, got good stuff coming. All the stuff, all the stuff. And not in the least to say um, your debut collection. Well, your debut full, full collection, Yes, I would say. Yeah? yeah, full collection. First full collection. Here it is. Not that the listener can see what I'm doing, but I'm holding <laughs> up a book right now. That's what I'm doing. Here it is in my hand, the body and its seasons. Yes, feels yeah. good. I like, I like our the texture of our books. Like they have got. A yeah, I know. Feel like it feels because I also have the book, and I'm also not holding it up to the camera, which is again completely useless to a podcast listener. Um, but no, yeah, it's just like it is. The book feels good, like just, I don't know yeah. if that got picked up by, by the microphone at all, but I'm just flicking the book, yeah. ASMR style, <laughs> that's, that's a thing, apparently. Um, yeah, I love this book. Yeah, it's so theatrical, this book. Like, there's so many little monologues in here, like, so many poems shaped on the page as if, like I'm imagining people stood on a stage while reading it. Like I can really picture that influence that the theatre has had on you. And obviously in that time that you've started acting, you've also been putting this book together as well. So I can really see that influence come in as, as you've um, structured things on the page and, and made it that way. And it's also extremely experimental. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think this book has the most number of footnotes of any burning eye book we've ever published yeah um like talk talk us through um like your decision to use the the footnotes um so when i first submitted this collection um it was extremely different it really was um it was just a completely different book but i submitted it knowing that it needed work. I didn't know what work it needed, but I knew that it wasn't ready. Um, and so after burning, I said yes, let me try. I um, contacted Adam Lowe, who edited my chat book, who wrote Regina, because, you know, he just really understands my writing and the way I think and the way I work. And I mean, it was like, this collection is not hitting. It's not doing it's not doing what it needs to do, what's wrong with it? And basically he was like, okay, make it bonkers. <laughs> and that's a good um tactic. Just make it bonkers. Yeah. yeah. Um because you know he knows that like I need a framework to hang something on, I need to have a structure, I need to do something difficult that will hold my attention. <laughs> um and so when we're talking, we came up with the idea of this being like, and it's going to be the collected works of an archivist. And then we're going to have the footnotes as the archivist's commentary. Um, but, you know, then I started with the footnotes, loved doing them, was really vibing with it. Um, 
And then, but as I was doing the footnotes, the actual narrator, Maddie, kind of emerged um, and came together. And it was really about like, how do I get Maddie's voice into this without needing to make every poem from her point of view? Because most of them aren't. Like yeah. there are there are a few pieces in there that are Maddie's voice. But Maddie's voice is mostly in the footnotes. Um and I was just having a lot of fun with it and being very self-indulgent and <laughs> just not worrying about whether or not this is going to work or if anybody will like it. Just having as much fun as I can um because I feel like there'll be times in my life when I do have to write commercially and I do need to write something that I'm that you know a marketer could sell to like I don't know newspaper or whatever um but with this it's like this is mine this is for me this is exactly what I want to be doing right now and if other people like it, amazing, wonderful, please like it, actually, if you like it, like, but even if I am the only person who loves this, I think I should be quite content with that. Well, I think that's at the, at the very least, um, because I love it, just, just, so that's, that's, that's one other person at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, um, it is really experimental, isn't it? And like you say, like it is for you and by you. And um, I think that's great that you have just taken your own initiative and, and run with it um, and created something that is very unique to you and the way in which you want to tell this story um, of Maddie from sort of beginning to end in a... <laughs> A wiggly all around way. I'm I'm wiggling my finger around audience. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Um, I really need to stop doing this. <laughs> Just visually doing things. Uh, but you have um, there's uh, yeah. Not only the footnotes that you have in the book, you also have the notion of the body and the way in which you um, signify the body's needs. Um, uh, through just like really simple uh, text changes and text size changes and things. Um, and those were the, some of the things that really caught our attention in the initial uh, submissions process. So it's really good to see that even though a, a lot of this book has changed from that submission, that the, the bare bones of it are still there and the, and the main concept is there. Um, how did you decide that Maddie was going to be the voice like for this? Um, because initially I think Maddie was featured in the original submission that we read, but wasn't um, the main sort of narrator of, of the book. No, I guess, you know, Maddie has existed as like an unnamed nebulous narrator until my poem before. Like the, um, you know, the I in my poems is pretty much never me and I do think that um Smarty has been the eye in um a number of pieces that I just haven't known that and then it was as I was trying to figure out okay 
if this is going to be the collected works of an archivist, I need to know who this archivist is. Um, and initially I had an idea of just this very um, quite stuffy, uptight, um, you know, university librarian who just has this new thing that, that they're messing with. But then kind of as I was writing and rewriting and shifting things around, um, it kind of realized that, oh no, the person who would become sufficiently obsessed with the body to spend an entire year or near enough a year thinking about, you know, exploring basically nothing else is Maddie. <laughs> um, and so this book needs to be theirs. Um, and needs to be their journey. And when I thought that, I literally had no idea what the ending would be. I had no idea where Maddie would end up. Um, and that just kind of emerged over the course of, you know, six odd months. Yeah. And I suppose the beauty of a poetry collection is that there doesn't necessarily need to have any ending. Um, because that's always going to be open to whoever's whoever the reader is and um it's it's gorgeous because it's so queer without being like hey i'm queer not that there's a, a, a an issue with that at all but i really like the subtleness of it and that that's just part of the the book's identity the narrator's identity um and this image that you have the the painting for your cover um this is very sapphic and very central and i think really encompasses what you unfold in the pages of the book like who who created this um cover for you so the painting was done by my sister wow um you know um another diasporan on instagram um she has been painting forever um <laughs> And no, I live with her and our house is covered in her work. And in, I want to say that behind me, but again, this is a podcast, you can't hear me, but for Bridget's benefit, the painting you can see in the background. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Zoom, yeah, that is, the painting did that as well. Um, and, you know, with her being my sister with us, obviously knowing each other really well, um, she was very much part of the process of putting this book together where I kind of talked to her about the ideas that I had and complained to her quite a lot about it. Um, and so then when it came to the painting, she understood what I needed and just did it. Yeah, I was going to ask, was this something that had already been created or was this something created with Maddie in mind? Um, I, I mean, she had kind of, she was like painting this over the course of a few months or whatever. And so I don't know if she painted it specifically for me or if, you know, she had another idea that just kind of ran with, but when it, when it came time to the covenant needed to be done and stuff, they're like, oh, there's this painting. I was like, oh, this is, this is perfect. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes it happens like that, doesn't it? And you're like, oh. 
actually, yeah. this, is, this is a perfect fit. And it is a perfect fit. It's gorgeous. Um, yeah, it's really eye-catching. Um, I hope to see it in bookshops a lot because I think that as a, as a cover is gorgeous. I'm just I'm saying that. I'm holding it up again. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so you um, – so by the time this podcast comes out, your book will be widely available. Um, what yes. – how does that feel like how how does it feel to have a, a full collection out in the world um it feels very surreal I think it doesn't actually quite I thought it would feel real as I was like shipping the books out because I'm currently shipping out the, the, the pre-orders um but it still doesn't feel like it still doesn't feel real um mm. I think because this book has has existed in so much shape or form, has been in the works for like three years now. Um, I guess it's also to feel as if the book's journey is done. And what I'm hoping is that you know after after the launch, which I mean the podcast release would have just happened, um, you know hopefully post-launch me will be like ah yeah this is amazing beautiful wonderful um I think at this point yeah I'm still I hope people like it I do um obviously I hope it sells because who doesn't but I think I mostly I'm happy that I did it and I'm happy that it has that is kind of exactly the book I wanted to make. Um, and that I had the freedom and the support and burning eye to do that. And so now what happens after that is what happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, as we say, like every gig that you do from this point onwards for the next year is you launching your book and sharing your book with with new audiences and my favorite thing about writing and, and putting work out into the world is that you never know who is going to pick up your work and read it and it have like a lasting impression on them and I think that's like some like great power lines going around um that you get from having having a book so yeah um, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you on this book from beginning to end to see the drastic changes it's made uh, into the uh, finished product um, that it is, which is just absolutely stunning. You should be, yeah, really, yeah, proud of yourself, and it's a pleasure to to work with you. Um, and thank you for submitting to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for you know taking this on and rolling with the mad direction that I went with. Um, yeah, I think sometimes yeah, you have to just let a process. poet. Yeah, I think sometimes you just have to let a poet take their own direction with it sometimes and, and let them create something completely unique um, that is, you know, part of their vision. And I'm really glad that we were able to uh, provide that um, space for you to be able to do that. So, yeah, um, for those listening at home, um, you can get um, Maz's book, The Body and Its Seasons, from our web store at burningeye.co.uk or as we keep telling you, to go direct to the artists themselves. So Maz, where can people get your book from? 
um, from my website, mazhedgehog.com. Um, and it has body in its seasons and also any other books and pamphlets and little bits and pieces that I do will be available from my website. Lovely, great. Um, and my final request is, would you like to uh, finish off with a poem to send us out on today? Yes, um, and the obviously the obvious one choice would be doing um, the first piece, the body, but I will not do that. Um, instead, I'm going to do the thing that is the most Maddie's piece, um, and it is called Anatomy. First, I undo my stitching. My skin is too delicate and the needlework too fine, just pull it apart so I hold still. Magnifying mirror, bright lamp and seam ripper at the ready. I start at the seam disguised by my double chip. Gently stretch the skin and pass the point through each stitch. I continue round my shoulder, under my arm, down my torso and thighs to my feet. The layer of soft tissue falling away to reveal yellow-white fat gleaming. I begin. I cut away my left breast and place it on a dinner plate ready to be reattached or discarded later. Next comes the muscle over my ribs. If I had planned better, I would have learned the names for all these places, but it is not so important now. I am looking. I cut away a neat square and place it into the bowl. My ribs are beautiful. I inspect my spleen, limp and dark as wine on sand. I slide a finger between my ribs and it scuttles away, hiding itself behind a lung. Come, little thing, let me see you. It shivers but does not move. I sigh. I reposition the mirrors to see my, to see my buttocks and the base of my back. The scar tissue is rough here. Every burn and bruise twisted into pale, knotted flesh. Somehow I remember every stare, every man's hand or mouth or bulge pressed into me. Somehow it didn't matter if I said I wanted it or not, claimed desire or not. It left the flesh distorted all the same. I sigh. My knife is made for this work, small and sharp and well-balanced. I slice around the scar tissue, letting my own flesh guide me to its boundaries. I expect it to smell sharp, acrid, poisonous, but it, but it is as inert as it is unwelcome. The gaps left I fill with handfuls of soft fat that slots in easily and make itself at home. My back is beautiful like this. The discarded tissue burns well. I sit, turn my right, turn my right leg and carefully feel the back of my knee. The splinters are small and delicate and very deep. Pushed further by every time dad used the switch, every time I failed him. I select tweezers, small and pointed, and slide out each one in turn. Repeat the process with the left. There are more than a dozen in each. Somehow they hurt worse than before. My spleen shivers, but does not move. I position a magnifying glass in front of the mirror, focusing on my forehead. The mark is barely there. <coughs> Belly darker than a thin layer of muscle around it, but I have felt it every year, and the little cross burns. This I peel away in layers, my head growing lighter with each pass of the knife. The discard goes into a bag ready for the compost heap. My ewe sapling could do more with it than I. 
My spleen shifts a little. Deep breath. This is delicate work. My throat is next. My vocal folds are contorted, frozen in place, locked by cartilage and ligaments that have no business being there. I press my, my smallest blade against the first, moving millimeter by millimeter. My flesh cannot guide me here, it barely knows itself. It would rather be mangled beyond repair than ever used again, the punishment would never work it. Tears drip down my face as I work, layering pain over agony as they go. I cannot scream, I cannot weep, I cannot groan or murmur. I must work. I give up with only half the folds done. I am not strong enough for this. I stand and look in the mirror at the bright white bone of my rib. Come, little thing, let me see you. My spleen shifts again, peeks out from behind my lung. It slinks forward, slow and unsure, but I am patient this time. I do not move or speak or coax it any further. I have failed, so I am patient. It eases itself out from behind my ribs and climbs into my hand. Carefully, gently, I turn it over and run my fingers over its surface. It is too cold and too dry, so overfull, it might burst in a moment. I sit, place it on a glass tray and tray my magnifying glass on the buses running through it. They are nearly black and almost dust. I blow on them. I mix warm wine and honey and flush them out. I blow again, I flush them again. I do not look at my knife, my skin is too, my spleen. I do not look at them, my knife, my spleen is too fragile to be reshaped. It stretches, it's deep purple warming to red. It stretches, venting black sludge and quicksilver. I press my fingers into the meat of it, gently working out the last of the liquid. I pick it up and hold it against my chest until it squeezes back to my ribcage and settles over my stomach. I slot the flesh back over my rib, fit breast over muscle. Resitching takes time, hours, even into days. My, my needlework is poor, oversized and crooked. There is no great loss. My work isn't done. I will unpick it again soon. Clap! Applause! <laughs> Yeah, that was some of the only applause people in lockdown were getting. So I've become accustomed <laughs> to just applauding everything now. Um, thank you so much, Maz, um, for coming on the podcast today and having a chat with me about the book, which is excellent, and everyone should buy it immediately. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a really good time.